0: With your host, Ed Bondarenka, our goal is to provide a platform for a discussion of pro-life, pro-Christian, and pro-American constitutional principles in the light of current and historical events. America, bless God. Good afternoon and welcome to Your American Heritage. This is our first show Saturday afternoons now. Uh, show prep is actually starting to impinge on my listening to Trigger Talk Live at Fortunately, Dick copied podcasted, so I can catch up on it later I've Been hearing bits and pieces. So grab a kafeffi and let's get started. Let's open in prayer. Father, please lead us, guide us, protect our nation and our president and all those who are godly leaders in this country. Please protect our president, his wife, his staff from the effects of the China virus, and please lead and guide our discussion today. Speaking of today, I had hoped to talk today about the religious test that Amy Coney Barrett faces about the group that she belongs to, people of praise. Boy, does that sound sinister. But That's gonna wait until next week. I also wanted to have Ron Armstrong, Ron Armstrong of Stand Up Michigan and Stand Up Churches to talk about their petition, the petition drive to unlock Michigan. And then the Supreme Court of the State of Michigan dropped a bombshell at 5 p.m. Friday afternoon. There are ramifications to this. In the second half of the show, Dave Coleman of the Great Lakes Justice Center will be joining us to talk about those. Of course, we'll be talking about those with Ron also, who is joining us. I want to say one more thing. The state legislators indicated its willingness to work with the governess to codify her illegal, unconstitutional edicts, giving them a legitimacy. That must be resisted. That's the Uniparty. So the phone number, as always, is 734-822-1600. Now, if you have a question for our guests, please leave it with Derek to pass on to us. I'm too short for time this week to take calls on air, but I definitely want to give you the opportunity to present a question to either of our guests because I think that's important. That's part of what this show is, an investigation into what's going on. You can also send your questions to Derek at Derek at, that's D-E-R-E-K, Derek at whamradio.com, W-A-A-M radio.com and he'll pass them on to me so joining me now is ron armstrong co-founder of stand up michigan welcome ron i heard you on facebook this
1: morning good stuff uh great to be with you ad it's uh been a terrific day for liberty and um and it's uh, and and now the question is as many have had is is what's what's next what now
0: yeah so uh your group did a wonderful job gathering those signatures and presenting them yesterday it was kind of funny that uh Man, once you do all that work and it's like, yes, yes, we got it over the finish line. And the state state Supreme Court goes and finds the exact same thing that your group was pushing for in that petition, which was the removal of the 1945 Emergency Powers Act, which Gretchen Whitner has been relying on to uh, repress the state. So there's more work for your group to do than just just the removal of that and that petition. Correct.
1: Well, yes, and and uh, and keep in mind that though this Supreme Court, by a four to three ruling, as you know, or as your listeners might know, it was a seven to zero unanimous decision that they could not act any further on the 1976 law because it had a 28-day limit. Correct. So, but she reverted to the 1945 law, and again, they found that unconstitutional for the use that she had. I mean, it wasn't by area; it was being done universally, unilaterally and that, they, uh, that it definitely stepped on the the separate branches of government. But it did not remove the law, did not repeal the law, and yes, normally precedent would set the place where we would say, uh, we don't have to worry about that law anymore. Well, we do, because there's two Supreme Court justices up uh, in, in, in the election in 30 days. Uh, if this court was to switch to a 4-3 the other direction, this governor or a future governor could potentially use this for another reason, and come back and step on it and that Supreme Court made very well it only required one more they were willing three of them to be able to continue to let her operate continuously as long as she saw fit under the 45 law if there had been one more we would have been in a really bad shape wow now I am surprised I read the
0: ruling yesterday night, or yesterday night, last night and some stuff this morning online and I was of the impression and I, th- I had questions about this for Dave Coleman, and uh, maybe you and I could talk about it briefly. I thought they struck down the 1945 law. You're saying that they no. found her usage of it unconstitutional, which is what I expected them to say. And I was surprised when I read that they struck the law down in its entirety, which to me le- left the 1976 no. law open for discussion also then.
1: No, what they were saying is they defined what the 45 law was supposed to be, and uh, accordingly, the EPGA constituted an unlawful delegation of legislative power to the executive, uh, and was unconstitutional under the 1963 Article Three Two, which prohibits excessive accession of the legislative power by the executive branch. Finally, the unlawful delegation of power was not severable from the EPGA as a whole because of the epga is uh, is inoperative when the power to protect life and property is severed from the remainder of the epga accordingly the epga was unconstitutional in its entirety that i believe was in regard to this particular use they did in the prior talk about the fact that uh that that, that law was to be done by by certain area and that it was not specific enough um, and so that's the reason, of course, that she was operating under 76. Dave will be the perfect one to answer that. But this does not change the fact that the 1945 law needs repealed and gone permanently because someone will abuse it in the future. I agree again that it is very likely that they would not fall back on this because of this ruling. But you also know that activist courts don't always follow that, especially if it might be used in a, under a different purpose for a different time.
0: Yeah. Now, see, then again, you quoted the words in its entirety, which is what made me think that uh, the 1945 law in its entirety was unconstitutional. And I'll, I'll, I got to say one thing that I've, in discussions with uh, your approach to this lockdown, this uh, uh, illegitimate behavior by our governess or or Catherine Henry's, um, I had not. Actually, brought myself to a position where either one, I was willing to uh, uh, support, and actually, I was willing to support your approach more than Catherine Henry's. And that was, but I was really waiting for the government—I mean, sorry—for the the high court, the Supreme Court, to rule and tell us that the ninth that she had violated the 1945 law that she had overextended. I'm of the opinion that. This is me personally, and I'm open to discussion on it, that we need something. We need something in the case of riots or floods or some kind of civil disturbance that's local. And that's and unfortunately, it's not time limited in 45. And that's how she got away with this. But the understanding has always been that the EPGA of 1945 was local. And that's correct. And I believe we need something like that. I just believe that 1945 was miss misused by this governess, but your group wants to take
1: it down totally well the reason is the 1976 law clarified areas it actually mentions a pandemic it actually right. talks about things specific by area and yes it gives a time limit understand it's important to have an emergency power act of some kind because it allows you to qualify for federal funds uh, in, in cases of disasters or emergencies. And uh, in, and it did say in this case that they could, she couldn't use it as a disaster or an emergency in the way she was using it because she was still taking away uh, the the unilateral power. So uh, again, I think Dave Coleman will have the great answer for you on, on that going forward. What I would say is the 76 law is sufficient now. Whether they clarify that in the future, I don't know. But when it came to Flint water crisis, when it came to a sinkhole, when it came to flooded rivers, They've always been able to utilize that law, and within a 28-day period of time, pretty much all that's saying after that is the emergency can stay in place, as this legislature did. They extended her one time, but the science and data simply didn't fit any longer, and they said we can't unless we get science and data that proves there's a continuing emergency. We can't allow you to act unilaterally with the entire state, and that is pretty much what the lawsuit came down to, but... um, Again, I'll leave that to to David Coleman. I'd like to talk more about the Stand Up Michigan and 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 help you understand what we're what we're doing. And like you mentioned, we're not done. And I'd I'd like to share with your uh, with your listeners exactly what it is we have uh, what we have planned and what we've what we've been working on.
0: Please do. And uh, folks, if you are on Facebook. Find Ron on Stand Up Michigan. He did a wonderful, longer presentation than we're going to be able to do today. But I wanted to bring this group to your attention if it wasn't there already, and what they're doing. And then hopefully, in the last few minutes, we'll also be discussing stand up churches, which you're you're promoting also this week. So go ahead, Ron. Tell us about yourselves and and your plans for the near future. Now,
1: yeah. So uh, uh, the first thing is uh, the Stand Up uh, Michigan, as you'll find it, is actually uh, at Stand Up MI. Um, You will see it as a Facebook page, like it and follow it, share it if you would. We started originally back in April. This was long before the Unlock Michigan campaign. We were not a campaign organization. We were not for a specific campaign at all. We were for repealing the 45 because as you saw yesterday, if it wasn't for 45, they would have struck down unanimously the 76 use after the 28 days. But three justices would have allowed this to continue. And if one more had been, it would have been in perpetuity. So when we created Stand Up Michigan, it was with the idea that uh, we were we we started with a Facebook group. All right. We had three hundred and eighty thousand group members in a matter of six weeks. How did we grow so fast? One hundred percent grassroots. No big money, no money at all. Other than uh, literally in the first uh, 90 days, we, we started this group with the idea of letting people share their stories. The stories of how they've been affected by both this lockdown and shutdown by the virus in general. And what we were finding is that people were not able to share their true opinions on their own social media because people were saying, what, don't you care about life? Don't you care about, you know, they, they were constantly, so they were quiet, but they were getting depressed. They were in their homes, right, you know, having to teach their kids. Their businesses were closed down. All of these things were happening and they didn't have an outlet collectively to say, It's not just me that feels like this. Well, it was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Michiganders that shared their stories. And that's all we put on our group originally. And Facebook then wiped out the entire 387,000 member group in 20 minutes on one Thursday evening. Literally, they said that we were spreading disease because (laughs) we were promoting the Carl the Barber story, which we promoted As a 77-year-old barber who said, I have to make a living, I have to feed my family, and you're either going to take me out of here in a box or in handcuffs, or I'm cutting hair. And that story was enlightening. It was a national story. And because we covered it, promoted it, produced it, uh, literally Facebook came and wiped us out. We were already moving to a website, and the website is StandUpMichigan.com. The reason I want you to go there is to understand that we created a vision and a mission statement. And I just want to share that with you. Um, Our vision is to reclaim and defend the rights and liberties of we, the people of Michigan. Our Michigan is to equip and empower we, the people, to stand up for our sacred values, our citizen rights, and our constitutional freedoms. And our strategy, we have three things, to care, to inform, and to activate. We wanted to care about we, the people, and identify with them where they are, with their stories, and how we might be able to help and identify them. Secondly, we wanted to provide them the information that they were not getting through local media. They certainly weren't getting on a daily basis, including science and data from uh, their governor. And we said we want to inform we the people by providing sound information. And thirdly, and this is really important for all of you, is to activate we the people to be and to empower them to be the solution, not the government. Understand the government can never be looked at for a solution. It never will truly be the case. We will only recover if we begin helping each other first with our family, getting your family in order. Obviously, it's then with your own personal community and what you can do to help there. And then it's with helping your own area and community to help our state recover as well. But if you're waiting for the government to have the solution after solution, we're all in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Now, I will will say
0: there's a... There's a kind of a thinking among people of the government, the government. And they seem to forget that the government of the United States is actually supposed to be representative of the American people. The governor, government of the state of Michigan is supposed to be representative of the people of Michigan. One thing that your petition drive did was show the, the um, oh, there's a word for it, but there's a, uh, the propensity of the people to be opposed to this lockdown, these, these uh, uh, crushings of our freedoms. And so the the almost 500,000, almost half a million signatures that you presented yesterday are representative of the will of the people. In fact, the, the whole point of the petition was to present it to the legislature so that the legislature, who was supposed to be representing us and our position, would then have the ability to make a law without the signature of the governess. So consequently, your petition, grassroots uh, uh, movement, was to influence the government, which is supposed to be us. Now, unfortunately, we have a a legislature that seems to be pretty do-nothing right now. They seem to be sitting back waiting to see what happens and when it'll happen. And um, I'm... I'm, now, now I'm curious, and I'll have to ask Dave this: this lawsuit. I'm sorry. This, yeah, this suit that the Michigan Supreme Court ruled on yesterday had to do with three uh, healthcare provider organizations that were responding to the lockdown, saying that uh, they they were being kept from providing medical services. That seemed to be the that lawsuit, as far as I know. The the high court, the Supreme Court, michigan was supposed to be ruling on a lawsuit by the state legislature as to her overreach in regards to uh uh, the edict so i'm i'm gonna have to ask dave if there's another lawsuit out there that's that's hanging to drop uh, unless i'm totally confusing a
1: lot of this is frankly confusing i'm trying to bring clarity to it and i'm not helping dave will be able to do that very clearly but i think what happened was there were multiple suits they were separate the legislature was one they acted on that yesterday with the 45 law which was in itself it looks like they are saying that there needs to be future consideration based on the fact this law doesn't exist see the lower courts ruled either in favor or against including federal courts these other suits with the idea that the 45 law existed they're now saying because this is now done and considered unconstitutional to use this way that the lower courts need further guidance on uh, on creating a, a final ruling on their end. In other words, I don't know that the Supreme Court's going to issue on that. I think they're depending on the lower court who already uh, reacted on it, but they they reacted to it, as you know, by saying that under the 45 law, it appears two to one, that, that it was okay. She continued to do what she does. Now that that's considered unconstitutional, now they're going to, I think, be going back and looking for clarity. So Dave can handle that. Um, Yeah. And hopefully I know he can provide some clarity along with this whole 21 day uh, uh, shenanigans that came out yesterday in an effort to continue to hold you in check uh, until you're told that uh, you're you're able to be free again. And uh, that there isn't anywhere anywhere zero that says uh, the Michigan court rules, by the way, and this came from Stephen Coleman, clearly states that the Supreme Court orders are effective on the date they are entered. Not 21 days later, the executive orders are gone today. That came from Stephen Coleman yesterday afternoon or this morning to me. But I have to tell you, I think last night, actually, 1147. But um, I got to tell you uh, that, that this, is, this is a way to hold you down and continue to make you believe that you're going to follow a law that doesn't exist under an unconstitutional law that doesn't exist uh, in order for her to continue to control your lives uh, in the name of a virus. So uh, he can handle that. But. Stand up Michigan and, yes go ahead well as I was gonna
0: say and your group primarily your group is to provide a voice for the people of Michigan to stand up to this this uh, uh, breach of authority to this uh, illegal these illegal edicts by uh, uh, governors gone mad so correct this is what we want to do we want to continue supporting your group we want to promote um, what you guys are doing there join your group visit your webpage and continue the struggle because they're not down and out. There's no way uh, the governess is going to lie back. She's going to try
1: something else. I mean, that's their modus operandi. Go ahead.
0: Well, and we are letting
1: people know we are wanting to hold all of the legislature responsible going forward. This is not about a Democrat or a Republican. This is about the rights and freedoms of individual Michiganders and Americans to hold our constitutional rights and freedoms against all. In other words, there are some very weak need people on both sides of the aisle that are more than willing to continue certain lockdowns and certain provisions. And we, the people, I am telling you, we may need to march on Lansing in a way they've never seen before if they were to ever dream in this next 30 days, and I cannot believe that they would, that they're going to mandate anything in regard to this. Recommendations, strong recommendations are all great. And I believe we can do things safely going forward, but you are not going to mandate a mask. You are not going to mandate uh, what our capacity should be or how we could be open or how many we can employ or if our kids are going to wear a mask while playing sports. To me, those things are off limits to our constitutional rights and freedoms. They ended yesterday, and it is time for us to claim the victory and to stand uh, uh, proud for this. And that leads me because I know you're going to be running out of time to our stand-up churches. You wanted to talk about that, um, and and I, if I can, I'd like to move right into it. Um, Go ahead. We we are a Christian-based uh, group. The leaders are all Christian people. We believe that this whole movement is based on uh, on faith. It's on yes. It's as our country was founded on Christian principles and biblical principles. So are our forefathers who gave us all of these freedoms that that were in our constitution and so on. We believe those need to be protected, and we were too easy to give up everything from our freedom of speech, our freedom of assembly, and yes, our freedom of religion. We shut down our churches, and our pastors were so quick to be worried about people. And I understand, those that are vulnerable needed to stay home. Those that are vulnerable needed to wear a mask or do what was necessary to stay safe. But those that are healthy, those that were young, they should have been able to go if they chose to and and exercise their faith. I know it's my opinion, it's also our opinion, but it is time for the church to stand up. So we have an event this Thursday on the Capitol steps and it includes our leadership from Stand Up Michigan. It is called Stand Up Churches, We the People. It has its own logo based on what it is that we already do and stand for. Um, We are going to have the speakers there, including the speaker of the house, Lee Chatfield, his father, Pastor Rusty Chatfield. Uh, It's going to have Pastor Jason Georges from Emmanuel Baptist Church, Um, It'll be uh, I will be speaking. Tammy Clark, our director, will be talking. And we have an incredible, incredible choir that is there that is a battle hymn, uh, a choir that's going to sing patriotic music. It is going to be based, again, on uh, uh, encouraging your church leadership to know that we need to stand up together. We also need to be, again, the solution in our community should be the church. It is the example that we should be setting to those around us. We should be providing the help, and then they will see the light, the light of Jesus, the light of what we what we believe, again, our founding fathers were. And, uh, and we want to pack that, uh, that whole uh, front lawn of the Capitol this Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30. And we encourage you to come, and we encourage you to bring your pastoral leadership so that they, too, can begin to stand up.
0: Excellent. Most excellent. Thank you for organizing that. God bless you for that. We have about a minute left. We do have a caller from uh, Mark from Howell who wanted to know, is there anything we can do that you can do to fight back against censorship from big tech companies like Facebook and Google? Do you have
1: any you know, idea honestly, about that? Honestly, they they own their platforms and they have a right to run those and free enterprise as they see fit. We don't agree with that. But So what we've done is we've moved to locals.com. We've moved through our website. We uh, reach people through our uh, email list. And um, we are also, with Locals, it is a uh, non-censored, conservative-type platform. There are many out there, and we're just moving off. Unfortunately, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people uh, participate through Facebook. It's a way to reach the most people. But uh, the censorship just ramped up yesterday, and it's going to get worse throughout the month of October. We simply have to wean ourselves off of that platform as soon as possible and move to those secure platforms, maybe even Christian and conservative platforms, where we can have our free voices to speak with each other.
0: Well said, Ron, and you said it just in the nick of time. You have excellent radio possibilities. Unlike you, uh, I have a face made for radio. You, however, you have a face made for television. So thank you for uh, thank you for promoting uh, your organization. Thank you for what you're doing out there. God bless you for it. And uh, perhaps we'll have you on in the future again to discuss how things are progressing. That would be have great. A great. Thank day. you for having me. All right. And once again, folks, come on back right after the break. We have more to talk about. We were
2: made to be correct. We were made to lead the way. The was We were made to be correct.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. Welcome back to your American heritage. And like the song Courageous was saying, we are warriors on the front lines. All of us are, folks. All of us are. But we got a couple of warriors on the front lines joining us today. One is David Coleman of uh, Great Lakes Justice Center, Salton Lake Global, and the Coleman Legal Group. And also listening in and ready to make a cogent comment or question here and there is Pastor Richard Dieter in a moment of clarity. So, welcome, gentlemen. Uh, let's see now. So we're here to talk about the ramifications of the state Supreme Court ruling yesterday, finding the governor's acted unconstitutionally. So, Dave, do you have an opening statement?
2: <laughs> well, let me, oh, let me just clarify exactly what the court ruled, because there's even confusion on that today. I've heard from people. Remember, there are two laws here, the 1945 law, which is the Emergency Powers of the Governor Act, the EPGA. And then you have the 1976 law, which is the Emergency Management Act. And those are the two different laws that the governor's been acting under and claiming authority to issue all these executive orders. The Supreme Court ruled on both of those separately. And on the 1976 law, it was a unanimous decision. It was 7-0. All seven justices agreed the governor had no authority to exercise any emergency powers And every executive order she has issued since April 30th of this year is null and void and of no effect. It it is illegal, they're illegal, they're invalid. So that's how they ruled on the 1976 law. And remember, that's the law that requires the governor to work with the legislature after 28 days um, to continue in the emergency. And she refused to do that. The second law, the 1945 law, is the one that's been... It's been subject to Unlock Michigan, the petition drive. And it was uh, under that law that the governor said, well, there is no requirement for me to work with the legislature. I can declare an emergency and I can do it forever. Uh, And you can't stop me and I can be a one-person ruler. So that's the law that the Supreme Court ruled four to three, uh, that that law is unconstitutional in its entirety. So the 1945 law is
0: no more. One is I had the impression that they had a problem with the word emergency being open-ended because an emergency typically by definition means it's short-lived. I right. When we just had on Ron Armstrong from Stand Up Michigan, he was of the impression that the Supreme Court only found her use of 45 unconstitutional of the EPGA of 1945. And yet uh, the way I read it, that it was the entire law they struck down. And I think you just said as much. They struck down. The entire law, because because of issues with her uh, taking on legis- a legislative role. Right. How does 1976? In- how does 1976 not do that? Well, good question. But you're correct oh. on the 1945 law.
2: the The Supreme Court said that's an improper delegation of legislative authority, and they threw out the whole law. They declared that law unconstitutional. So it was not just as applied in this particular case, that law is is gone uh, pursuant to the court's order. I think the difference between the 45 law and the 76 law is the short duration under the 76 law. It was, it allows the governor to act for 28 days. That's relatively short, and it's why it's to handle an emergency. But after 28 days, then her power is over and she can't do anything more unless the legislature agrees. And so I think the court took the position that, well, that is such a short period of time that they weren't going to throw that case out in its entirety. But I agree, I, th- I think isn't one day of a improper delegation of authority to the governor a violation also, I would argue it is, but the court did not go that far with the 1976
0: law. Well, that clarifies that for me. Okay, so let's see now. Uh, Obviously, well, let's put it this way. I think you have a very short answer to this, but everybody's asking this question today. I was at the diner today, and there was quite a discussion, and people were uh, actually looking to me for answers. (gasps) The horror. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) Just shocking. (laughs) And the big question was, can Governess Whitmer continue for another 21 days? And why does she think she can, and why can't she? You know, this is just more
2: evidence of the governor's disdain for the other two branches of our government. Um, that is an incredibly tortured interpretation of the law. That is, There is just no way that that's true. And we're telling everybody out there in the state, and I've been on different shows and talking to people here since yesterday, if the governor tries to enforce these executive orders against you, come Monday Wednesday whatever in the next three weeks please call us because we will sue immediately and we'll get into court and we'll get an injunction and we'll stop her that's wow. a ridiculous argument
0: I mean it's not often it's not often I get to say wow it's nice to have a lawyer who's a friend you
2: know <laughs> <laughs> well think of it like this if the Supreme Court had made a ruling um, uh, you know let's talk about criminal law, and a certain type of search and seizure that the police were doing, the way they would stop cars and search somebody's car. And the Supreme Court says, that's illegal. It's unconstitutional, you can't do it. Does anybody in their right mind think that the police would come out the next day and say, oh, we have 21 more days to keep violating everybody's constitutional rights and commit illegal searches. And we get to do that for 21 days. I mean, that's absurd. Nobody thinks that. And so I've talked to a number of judges around the state. They all say the same thing. When the Supreme Court issues an opinion that is binding on all the judges in this state, it's binding from the minute it's issued, and there is no 21-day delay. There is no automatic stay of a Supreme Court ruling uh, until some later date. It does not exist. It's ridiculous.
0: Okay. Rick, did you have anything?
3: Yeah, I was talking to some people earlier today, uh, even going to the seventy-six rule I, uh, with the twenty, twenty-one 21 or 28 days uh, since this COVID virus hit and the shutdown, uh, we see municipalities are creating quorums through Zoom and having their, their open meetings through stuff like Zoom and YouTube Live and everything else electronically. Uh, now that they can do that and create a quorum now through electronics back in 1976 1977 all that it was hard to get to Lansing if you were in the UP you just couldn't get there in a moment's clarity you know to to set up something Did you just plug your show down. I did, did you just plug um, show <laughs> so so since they can do all this electronically now I don't even see a purpose for 28 days because she can call the Congress. I mean, Congress can pull together on Zoom or uh, on Facebook or or YouTube Live or something and create a quorum and uh, do something. Why are any of these emergency acts even in existence?
2: Well, because you have a law that was passed 45 years ago. And so things were different back then. And legislators would be all, all over the state and unable to get together. Uh, The answer to your question is the law is the law. I mean, until the legislature changes it because of things like you said, having Zoom meetings and doing different ways to get together, you don't have to do it in person. That's still up to the legislature to change the law. It it, right now says what it says. And so they would be the ones that would have to change
0: it. And I can imagine if there was something like an EMP or something that actually... Struck down commun- the kind of communications we have today, except when Skype drops in the middle of a radio show. We know how that works. So, if you were trying to depend on that for your quorum, and then all of a sudden everybody's got a loss of internet connection, mm-hmm. that may, you know, I, I think sure maybe 28 days is too long. Maybe it's uh, five days, something like that, because it only takes a couple days to get from the Upper Peninsula to to Lansing. You know, I was whatever. It's I think there needs to be some room to move on that. You know, that for the uh, an emergency response, but conditioned by the time limit, which sure. you know. So, but call the barber. He's free to cut hair now, huh?
2: Well, he has been anyway. He's been cutting hair continuously since May fourth. That's uh,
0: anticlimactic.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but at this point, obviously, we we just put out a press release this morning uh, regarding Carl Frisky Orchard Markets up by Charlevoix. Uh, we have clients, Jim. Uh, owners and fitness centers, clients all over the state who are being prosecuted, who are being taken to administrative hearings, and all based on the governor's executive orders. So we're calling on the governor and the attorney general to immediately dismiss all those matters. And if they won't do it, then we'll be filing motions here over the next week or so to do that. And we're going to ask for sanctions and costs because the Supreme Court has clearly ruled And this is something else the governor better think about. There is a thing called section 1983 in the federal courts, uh, in the federal law, that deals with civil rights violations. And it talks about government officials violating people's constitutional rights under the color of state law. That is exactly what the governor's doing with this threat of this 21 days. And they better think about it because they are clearly acting without authority and outside the scope of their constitutional bounds and you're going to see federal lawsuits all over the place. And we're going to be at the forefront of them if they try to enforce these uh, orders after yesterday.
0: You know, that's it's interesting you brought that up. It leads right up to my next question in the list. And, well, actually, no, two questions down. But regardless, and a question posed by uh, Tom from Detroit who asked, is the government – because of the, these rulings, is the government open to damages, lawsuits for damages? These businesses that have closed, are, are they liable to sue? And who do they sue? Do they sue the governor personally because it's her? Or do they sue the state because she represents the state even though it wasn't the legislature? How does that work? Well,
2: you would sue the state, and it's called a takings case. There's a thing
0: called the oh, case. Tom from Detroit is big on takings, so you just... I can hear him say thank you. Go ahead. Well, the takings clause says the government cannot take property.
2: And people think of it like real estate, like eminent domain, that they can take your property, but they have to pay you for it. Well, that's not the only type of property. It can be personal property, like a business. (laughs) And if they take it without just compensation, you can sue. And actually, that is something we have a number of clients around the state businesses, and we are looking at bringing just such a lawsuit. Absolutely.
0: Wow. Well, that could really be costing us as taxpayers bigly, I take it then.
2: Yes, it would. But it would help wake people up as to how egregious our governor and the attorney general and the state has been acting. And the way they've been violating people's constitutional rights. We don't lose our constitutional rights because there's a pandemic. It's outrageous. Mm -hmm. We don't lose our representative form of government and and our Republican, small r, Republican form of government. But yet that's what we've had for the
3: last six months. Rick has something to say. On this idea of takings, um, and I just wanted to clarify what you said and see if I understand it correctly. Uh, if all of a sudden all these lawsuits come through and the state is found liable because of the actions of the governor and her attorney general, uh, it ends up going into just some sort of great big um judicial assessment where it's then put on the backs of the taxpayers Uh, because the governor we elected and her attorney general acted wrong. Now it's going to end up being on the backs of all the taxpayers to pay for these judicial assessments. Is that correct? Is that correct?
2: That's the way it works. Yes. And and what's the remedy to that? It's the ballot box. It's there we go. Who are exposing our system and our government to this type of liability through their illegal,
0: unconstitutional actions? My next point was um, that this hopefully impinges the upcoming elections that people will realize. A friend of mine, uh, uh, Gil from California, he points out this is the uniparty in action because they're, the, the legislature is willing to work with. This is what I was what I've heard. They're willing to work with the governess so that they can codify some of her edicts. And I'm thinking, well, that's the last thing I as a person want. Hopefully this influences people to look at who they vote for. It's too late for the primaries, but we have got to at least maintain a certain party's advantage in the government who is opposed to this governess and her edicts, even though they're often uh, uh, weak and don't reflect. I mean if the if the Republicans, who hold the legislature, had stood up stronger to this governance early on, even put up like Pat Colbeck is saying, why didn't one person stand up with taking her from office? Well, not one. You know, that there's a weakness there. And, and they're not representing the people in this case, which brings another question. The lawsuit yesterday that was settled was based on some healthcare providers who were kept from pursuing their operations. What happened to the lawsuit of the legislature against the governess for violating 76? Well, I
2: think that's kind of moot now because the court has ruled and that is the same issue, as I understand it, that was raised by the legislature in their case. So the legislature essentially won their
0: lawsuit through this. I was decision. wait. That's that's the ruling I was waiting for, and then this one caught me totally by surprise. It's just got jumped up.
2: That's amazing. Right. right. So and you know, and I think it's important for people to understand. I get this from folks, oh, you you know, you don't want to do anything and you want grandma to die and you want everybody to die from the COVID virus. That is such a ludicrous argument. Obviously, there's a virus. Obviously, this is a serious thing that needs to be taken seriously by everybody but we have rights as individuals. We have rights to make choices about our lives and how we live them. We have rights as to how as a people through our government, we are going to address this issue. And you don't do it through one person autocratic rule with no accountability to anybody. That is, it's totally unconstitutional and totally violates all of our rights. That doesn't mean you can't be concerned about the coronavirus Take reasonable steps yourself to distance. If you want to wear a mask and you think that's important and all those things, it's not saying that's not important. But what it is saying is we don't overthrow our form of system of government because you're afraid
0: of a virus. Yes. Well, and Rick, I'll get to you in a second, please. But I wanted to point out two things. God has given us our rights. Yes. Only God can take our rights away. That's an implicit in the Declaration of uh, Independence. And I believe the preamble for that matter, although I could be conflating the two. And the second is if you don't want grandma to die, then don't have a governor who puts her in a, uh, uh, puts a bunch of COVID patients in her nursing home. That's where the majority of the deaths have come from, from uh, activity by our governess. Rick, you had something to say?
3: Yeah, just real quick. The government is not meant to be the nanny state. They're not meant to be our babysitters. And I agree I agree totally with your guest here. Uh, it's not up to the, to the government to tell us what to do, but we are responsible people. And if a company so wishes in their own business wants to say you have to wear a mask coming in or out, that is that business's right to do so as an individual business. It shouldn't be up to the government to tell them to enforce that though. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Question Absolutely, number right. six. Question number six <laughs> on the list. That's perfect, Rick. It's like you had the syllabus here. Are stores required to post mask rules as being on their own authority and intent. You In know, they can't be hide behind the state anymore. So if they're going to bar you, they have to come right on and say it. It's our store policy. Is it? Right. Am I correct?
2: That's right. Private businesses can have any requirements that, as long as they're not discriminatory or violative of other laws. They can put any kind of requirements in place. No shirt, no shoes, no service, right? I mean, we've all mm-hmm. seen that sort of thing. And what's your choice as a consumer? You can say, well, I don't want to live with that. I'm not going to go into that store. I'll go somewhere else or I'll I'll buy my goods elsewhere or I'll go online and skip mm-hmm. the store altogether. Those businesses have to decide, is it really worth it to them? Do they think they're that they can absorb losing a lot of business from people who will stop coming to them? That's their choice too, but that's the way our system works, and that's the way freedom and free, you know, our free economic system works. So
0: I have no problem with that. Exactly, and and if that's what small shops want to do, that's fine. I'm, I'm right. really, uh, there's a point I had uh, previously about this whole lockdown thing favoring big box stores and corporations as opposed to mom and pop and killing the middle class which is something that socialists want to do is kill the middle class. And it seems like, you know, that's a whole nother discussion there. This is COVID related. And it's a question I'd like to ask you. It's COVID related, but only in the sense that it's COVID related. Because of the COVID dem panic, elections have been impinged. So there's been this big push that, oh, we can't have people meet together Obviously, they can go to Walmarts, but they can't go vote. They can go to church now, but they can't vote in person. So the whole push is on that uh, we have to vote by mail. Please vote early and vote often. So having said that, now we have all these concerns about the mail system being overwhelmed and votes getting in late. And I see your finger, Rick. The question is, does a federal judge have the right to override Michigan state election law and push back our due by date for ballots. Rick, did you, that's want- you
3: Dave,
2: that's <laughs> to yeah. You.
0: It actually has to do. It actually
3: has to do with that. So can I add on to that question? Oh sure, please do. Yeah, uh, since the governor's. Um, uh, decree has been overturned. Uh, local establishments, when they have their polling booths, do they have to enforce or can they enforce social distancing rules in the polling places or require them to wear a mask inside the township halls or the city halls or whatever during voting? A twofer.
2: Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, uh, again, you're, you're voting in usually some kind of a church or a school building or somewhere else. And if they put those social distancing rules and things like that in effect—that's I guess that's an unknown question at this point. Can they deprive you of your right to vote if you're not wearing a mask? I would argue Public that schools, they government, can't. yeah, because they're the government. But you know, who knows? And and uh, we want people to vote. And so what we've been telling people is, if you're deprived, if if you don't want to wear a mask and and that sort of thing, and you want to go into vote, and they're telling you you can't, well, go vote. And then we'll bring the lawsuit, <laughs> you know, to try to yeah. you know show what should happen in the future. But again, it comes back to this the issue of personal, you know, your personal right to govern your own medical decisions and act responsibly. And that's important. It, you know, if I could mention just one thing, Ed back on the we just touched on it briefly, the petition drive, unlock Michigan and the 1945 law. I've been getting a lot of questions since yesterday. Um, Well, Unlock Michigan doesn't matter now, who cares? Don't put the the signatures in, you know, it doesn't matter now because the the Supreme Court has ruled the laws is no good. I would still recommend they go through it because it's a symbolic thing to show that they did get the necessary signatures and they can still follow through the process. And what people don't understand is the 1945 law is still on the books, it's there. It just can't be enforced because the Supreme Court has said it's unconstitutional. So for Unlock Michigan to follow through, have their signatures verified, have the legislature actually repeal the law is
0: still an important thing to do. And I would encourage them to do it. Oh, and by the way, we need to maintain a majority of sanity on the state Supreme Court. Folks, I highly recommend Brock Swartzel and Mary Kelly if you want to continue along the path of, of good decision making that uh, that we need in the Michigan Supreme Court. This is still up in the air. And you're absolutely right, Dave. We need to support stand-up Michigan, stand-up churches, unlock Michigan to keep the grassroots momentum going to keep this government in check. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize Brock Schwartzel, who's on the
2: Court of Appeals right now, wrote an incredible, fantastic opinion on Carl Mankey's case when we were in the Court of Appeals. And it was really his opinion that gave us the springboard to go to the Supreme Court And win for Carl, 7-0, it was because of of Brock Swartzel's decision. So I can't emphasize to people enough how important it is to get him on the Supreme Court.
0: Well, that's great. Gentlemen, thank you for your help today. Thank you for the uh, uh, input, Rick. I'll see you shortly on Moment of Clarity, where we're going to continue this discussion with Catherine Henry. And uh, Dave, thank you very much. Derek, thank you for producing. Folks, come back next week. I hope this helped. God bless America. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation
2: that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous.